Hello, this is Timmy. Hello, this is Roy. Um, and you're listening to Bike and Away. Okay. Oh, a microphone volume. Oh, unavailable. Use system mixer. Playback volume will be higher, but not in my ears. Okay. Mixer is at full power. No hidden unlocks. Available. All right, well, hello and welcome, everyone. This is Steve coming at you once again. Episode 74 of the Baked and Awake podcast. Today, at the time of recording, is April 19th, 2019, uh, a.k.a. Bicycle Day for those of you among us who might be psychonauts already. I'm not riding my bicycle today because... We have work to do, and we have a 420 edition to crank out for you, and that's what we're going to do today. So once again, welcome, and uh, as I like to do at the top of the show, if this is your first visit to the podcast, joining me here at Baked in a Week, thank you, thank you, thank you for finding us, finding me, uh, finding the community, and spending any time together with me and the rest of the audience here in Baked Land. We do talk about cannabis on the show. We record here in Washington State, a legal weed market here in the Pacific Northwest. I work in the cannabis industry, and we smoke on the show. So keep it in mind. If you're, you know, working the front counter down at the DMV, maybe this isn't the podcast to be playing on your little boombox or whatever you've got down there. You'd think I already got into the weed, but I really haven't. But uh, anyway, keep it in mind. Smoke some weed. We're definitely going to smoke some weed today. It's the 420 edition. I'm, I'm looking around. You can, can you see me looking around? I'm casting about myself here trying to decide what I've got. I've got myriad options at our disposal. We'll probably do a dab together. I've got a bowl right near to hand, a, a new fume spoon from my instagram friend and wonderful glass blower fume sniffer uh follow at fume sniffer on instagram today and uh reach out to him if you want to say hello i have every expectation i'll probably ship you a piece about as quickly as he shipped me one which was practically like mental telepathy i feel like he shipped it before i messaged him about it um and i'm holding in my hand a, a wonderful elegant simple just super pleasing little spoon the fume spoon uh, the spoon style pipes as the name implies are just a you know long straight stem with a small traditional bowl at one end this one has a carb and it's a crazy iridescent pearlescent yellow that appears to be color changing and deepening in hue as i enjoy the pipe i'll share it soon on instagram i've just been kind of making friends with it and i'm happy to say we've got 
some of our own flour, both from the work garden and from the home garden here today. Got some hash oil from the work garden for 420. So I'm like, I'm like stocked. I'm locked and fucking locked, cocked, and ready to rock on that front um, and excited about that. Also wanted to get in the house here with me before 420 so that I could gaze upon it and be delighted. Beautiful piece of artwork. Friend, a local friend who I'm amazed and stoked to know that she's a listener of the show. Instagram friend and an artist, Pie Paints, at Pie Paints, P-I-E-P-A-I-N-T-S. My friend Alicia Woods from the local area here. Uh, painted with, like, putty knives. Kind of uh, not, not I won't say Bob Ross style, but, you know, of course he's famous for using the knives in his painting style. But did our logo, did the Baked and Awake logo. I shared it on Instagram the other day. If you're not for some reason following me on Instagram, that's probably the very best place to catch me and probably will be the last social media platform that I abandon as, you know, we all slowly, especially those of us who are like fringe um, content creators, fringe history or conspiracy theorists or truthers or whatever the fuck shitty label you want to put on us, um, are finding that, you know, Facebook screws with us. YouTube screws with us. YouTube is actively suppressing and sort of, um, you know, making less visible all sorts of alternative independent media accounts of all sorts right now. And uh, those who have been listening for a while are very well aware. It's a running theme around here. I'm tiring rapidly of the social media stalking and the pervasive mass surveillance that comes from participating and playing the social media game these days. So um, continue to look for both independent platforms that I'm managing, like my own Discord server, um, you know, the the Facebook page itself uh, for Baked and Awake, but there again, really has very little engagement or interaction, very little. I don't have that many friends on Facebook anymore that aren't like really close friends and family left anymore, and I, I cut out hundreds of like second layer friends and family from Facebook over the last couple of years because I I'm just I'm sick and tired of having you know over a thousand contacts on there you know 800 of whom don't really matter to me and likewise I'm sure I don't matter very much to them either and they're certainly not podcast listeners or listeners of my podcast in particular and so you know in an effort to slowly clean filter and tune up my social media I've already narrowed that mob quite a bit uh, so I don't really know who my Facebook page even has the potential to reach outside of that small group anyway especially with how I've got my stuff locked down these days for the most part not that it helps it doesn't seem to help in terms of like mitigating you know seeming internet stalking from like bots and suggested ads and you know personalized targeted ads and things like that so um, but at any rate, Instagram, that's where we were going with that. You want to see the picture, the beautiful picture that Pie Paints drew, drew, painted. Oh my God. Edit, delete. <laughs> if you want to see the beautiful piece of art that Pie Paints created for me, check out Baked and Awake on Instagram. Just search at Baked and Awake and you'll find me really quickly and uh, follow me there if you're not already um follow me on youtube as well and again you can search just baked and awake on youtube and i should come right up 
Um, I think the actual URL is like youtube.com forward slash C forward slash baked and awake podcast, but it's kind of long. So, you know, just do the old Google search. You'll find me really quickly there. Um, on YouTube, I do post a number of videos in addition to like sort of complimentary to the podcast episodes. And in addition to that, all the podcast episodes get pushed to YouTube as well as a just in case. Um, and so for as long as YouTube continues to make any kind of sense, which once upon a time it was the greatest video aggregator platform in the world and one of the freest places on the internet, you know, until we get our next home like that, we'll keep working with these solutions and platforms that we have for the time being to the extent that we're able to um, and, and still sleep at night. So, um, yeah, but that's enough about that junk. Let's move on. Housekeeping completed. Blech. Follow Pie Paints, though. Go go find my picture. Go look at the beautiful art of the logo. Follow Pie Paints. And consider buying a piece of her art or commissioning something of your own sometime. You know, I doubt you even have to live here in Washington State. I was I was lucky enough to meet her in person and take possession of my beautiful art on my own, but I have no doubt she would be happy to mail you know, ship a piece to someone anywhere, so, as well. Uh, what are we doing today, though? Jesus, I'll tell you what we need to do. Smoke some weed. 100% we need to smoke some weed. Let's just do that right now. We're going to start with some from uh, my own home garden here, and uh, this is a blueberry mystery seed that, just like bag seed I found a couple of years ago. I got like eight of them, popped two last season, and they both did great. Um, they didn't finish super strong, but they finished, and I still have a ton of that. Um, this is actually what I'm packing right now is the next round from the clones from that last round from last season that I just harvested at the beginning of this month, um, like the fourth or so, somewhere in there. So this isn't even cured a month yet, and uh, but it's I've been smoking it already for days. Don't worry about it. Don't tell anyone. Nobody has to know this could be our secret uh and i've been enjoying it already i just i just love it uh this round came out more fragrant and with more density of uh buds than the last round the plants themselves were much smaller and i you know grew them entirely in an indoor setup but really overall i i feel like we made progress versus last time um regrettably i didn't i, I tried to do some late clones on this round um I was fighting white powdery mildew earlier on, and by the time I had the plant in a healthy enough state that I wanted to clone it, I was also flowering it, and I tried to clone some cuttings in flower. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. This bunch just kind of, it was like the dead of winter, and they just weren't that stoked about being reverted. Um, like a couple of them like tried to root, started rooting, but they just were miserable, so I was like, F it, you're all out of here. I have a few of those seeds left. We'll try again with that strain sometime in the future. You know, for right now, there's way too many others on the docket to have to, you know, worry about keeping this mystery seed going when I've got stuff that I know the name of and I know the provenance of and that I've been seeking out and that I'm happy to have finally acquired and that I'm looking at and sitting on and, and preserving, you know, in frozen seed form and potential form um, that need to have their day in the sun, right? So we're going to 
we're gonna move on we're gonna move on from it and try something new so but for now we're gonna enjoy it especially for 420 the plan was to have it done in time for 420 we were successful so let's enjoy this together and i hope if you're a gardener if you're a grower you've got some of your own anywhere in the house stop hit pause go right now and go get go get a little green bowl packed up take take an extra minute clean the bowl make it make it nice it's almost 420 your glass should be clean or getting clean right all your little ducks should be in a row let's session together take that green hit together oh that's a good time there's nothing better. I mean, there's hardly anything better than smoking weed. But if there's anything better than just smoking weed, and I mean, you know, don't get all high and mighty with me here. Oh, family, blah, 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 this and that. Yeah, 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 we all love our families. But I was going to say, if there's anything better than just smoking weed, smoking some weed, you grew yourself. whether from a cutting or from a seed. Hype strain or land race. Auto flower or photosensitive. Whatever you're doing, you're doing something right. And if you're growing, I salute you. I really do. So today on the podcast, we're going to do a couple different fun things. Uh, we are going to take a break here very soon, and you're going to receive a 420, sort of a 420 field report from uh, another local friend of mine, Super Chronic Josh of the Talking Hedge podcast. And uh, Super Chronic does a amazing cannabis business uh, headlines and sort of pulse of the industry, and of and that's both the Pacific Northwest industry, and sort of the overarching bigger picture of the national scene, the national industry landscape, right? So Josh works here in the Pacific Northwest in the industry. He's a financial advisor and uh, uh, money guy, and he has a great mind for focusing in on the stories that really matter and that give you a clear picture of forces that are at work in the business side of the industry. By that, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about the plants, we talk a lot about the strains, we talk a lot about the weed itself, but that's not, that's sort of the spirit side and the heart side of the industry, the sort of the, where the fun is. But, you know, a lot of times the stuff that seems on the surface to be a little drier, you know, is really stuff that a lot of us whether you're an owner or a stakeholder in a company or somebody a little bit further down the food chain, somebody who's affected by the decisions made by those folks or who maybe is in a position of being an influencer of those folks by virtue of having their ear and being you know, in close proximity to them day in and day out, any or all of you could benefit greatly from focusing yourselves in on a number of, you know, just a few, you don't need 50, but you know, just a few people who you trust who are going to help you stay abreast of the business side of the industry. Uh, if you're looking for someone who really has um, a strong 
insight into the Pacific Northwest in particular and the whole left coast, right? Because we've got kind of a green belt going on here between Washington, Oregon, California. I'm telling you, get with Josh. He's prolific, puts out a lot of shows, and they're all really, really informative. So Talking Hedge, check him out. Josh is going to bring us a field report with uh, an interview with a couple other local cannabis industry notables. And when we come back from that, we are going to jump into the rest of our stories for the day. It's going to be a big episode, but we're going to try to keep it under two hours for you. And uh, thanks again, Josh, for recording for us on short notice and having some fun with it, too. Between two and four questions apiece. Now, hopefully we can wrap that up in about an hour. And then if there's any questions, uh, since we're streaming live on YouTube, uh, I'll reach out to those folks and we'll ask those random questions. So with that, we're going to jump right in. So welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, and this is your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we're talking about automation and innovation in the hemp and cannabis industry. We are here live at the World Trade Center. I'm here with Arner and Denny. They're with Green Vaults Systems. I'm here with Jason, a 420 Wholesale Pack, and then there's Andy of Poseidon Asset Management. So let's get right into these, uh, these intros. I want to welcome both Denny Smith and Arner uh, O'Garrison. Or O'Garrison. Yeah. O'Garrison. All right. So they run a Green Vault Systems in Everett, Washington. Green Vault Systems strives to be the preferred supplier of industry-grade processing and weighing equipment for dried flower processing. They offer professionally engineered solutions which reduce labor costs, increase yields, and improve overall product quality. So I want to thank you both for, for being on the panel today. And then we've got Jason Lammers. He's our packaging panelist. He's a general manager at 420 Wholesale Pack in Seattle, a division of McCollum Packaging. 420 Wholesale Pack is a cannabis wholesale source for the packaging, equipment, and retail product distribution. Jason works from mom and pop operators all the way to strategic planners, uh, our partners that manufacture almost 2 billion monthly packages for Walmart. Jason's an adjunct board member of the Cannabis Alliance, a nonprofit dedicated to the advancement of vital, ethical, and sustainable cannabis industry. And he also leads the subcommittee on recycled packaging. Jason, thanks for being on board. Thanks for having me. And then we've got Andy Roach, investment analyst panelist. Uh, Andy is a senior vice president of Poseidon Asset Management based in San Francisco. Prior to joining Poseidon, Andy, who's also a CPA, was an auditor for Deloitte & Touche at the New York City office. Poseidon Asset Management is an investment management company founded in 2013 to invest exclusively in the cannabis industry. They're dedicated to providing the most curated portfolio focusing on the cannabis industry, putting capital to work, funding the most promising ventures in the industry, and allowing investors to grow with them. They're committed to growing with the burgeoning cannabis industry in an honest, responsible, non-exploitive way. And that can be seen in some of the top awards that they've received recently, like the Top Performing Hedge Fund Award for the three years running, ordered by Barclay Hedge. The number three performing fund in the non-traditional sector, past three years running, awarded by the Barclays Management Fund Report. Best Emerging Agricultural Hedge Fund and Most Pioneering Hedge Fund Manager 2017, both awarded by the Acquisition International at the 2017 AI Awards. Best Agribusiness Investment Manager 2017, awarded by Wealth and Finance International. And then the number one sector-based performing fund over the last three years in 2018, awarded by Acquisition International. Andy, thanks for being on board, man. Thank you. Josh, thanks, Andy. I want to introduce uh, Mike Flower. He, uh, he came today from the World Trade Center. The World Trade Center grows trade and investment by providing direct <laughs> access.
access to the largest business network in the world with 300 offices in 99 countries. The World Trade Center of Tacoma is the lone trade center in the Pacific Northwest. The World Trade Center offers seminars and, and ceremonies and conferences that can generate both contacts and contracts. Their trade research can clarify opportunities and their matchmaking can turn those opportunities into trade. They also have an e-commerce export store that is partnered with Alibaba and it is translated into 18 languages. So although Mike can't be here uh, with us on the World Trade Center or on, on the podcast today, um, he is available. And so I'm going to go grab him real quick so that I can make a brief introduction. I will be right back. All right, so I'm just going to jump in for a brief moment to clarify for everybody. The full conversation is available on Josh's YouTube channel. Uh, that podcast uh, is called The Talking Hedge. Once again, great business cannabis podcast, and the guys had a really excellent conversation about the state of the industry today going on down at the Tacoma World Trade Center yesterday on 419. I highly recommend uh, those of you who are more business-minded to check out the full conversation we're going to give you back to Josh now, though, um, as he winds down the panel and asks the group a question just for us. Thanks again, Josh, and everybody who participated in the chat. Hey, I want to give some one last question for exclusive content for a different podcast, a friend of mine, uh, Steve Kaminsky with the Baked and Awake podcast or wanted some exclusive content. So maybe I just ask you one simple last question. What are you doing on 420 tomorrow? It's Friday. It's the busiest day of the week and tomorrow's the busiest day of the year. So Andy with uh, Poseidon Asset Management, what are you doing tomorrow on 420 and what do you expect uh, from the industry? Uh, yes, it's a great question. I'm actually, uh, you know, shortly uh, after five o'clock today, I'll be heading down to uh, Big Sur, California, uh, camping with, uh, with a few friends. But I'll just tell a funny anecdote of um, I, I was on a panel recently and, and uh, you know, the question was kind of where, where cannabis tourism will go and, and kind of the direction of that industry. And I, I, I kind of, you know, off the cuff made some comment about, you know, there's going to be, you know, cannabis yoga and, and cannabis camping. And, um, you know, a, a co-panelist kind of jumped in and, and made a joke about, you know, isn't, isn't cannabis camping just camping? Um, so that's, 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 that's my plan for tomorrow. That's awesome. That was great. Uh, Green Vulsus, Arn or Denny, what are you guys doing on 420 and what do you expect from the industry? Well, uh, mine isn't really cannabis related, although I'm sure there'll be some consumption. Um, <clears throat> my father happens to be in town from uh, from Iceland. That's where I was born, and uh, it's his birthday tomorrow. Oh, cool! And so we'll be barbecuing, celebrating his birthday. Nice. I'll be with him. Nice. <laughs> Jason Lammers, four twenty wholesale pack. What are you doing on four twenty, and what do you expect from the industry? Um, well, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm leaning, oh, I mean Saturday. Is I'm, tomorrow Saturday? Yeah, tomorrow. It's still yeah. Saturday. Okay, that's good. I'm, I'm very much leaning towards relaxing because um, I've been working my butt off this whole week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got... A, this week I, has been a month. I've had, I've had multiple events this week, multiple interviews, multiple meetings. Uh, I've got a party to go to tonight still. So uh, I might just uh, enjoy a little bit of cannabis uh, with the wife at home. So 
I am going to be going to 20 stores on 420 all within four hours and 20 minutes. This will be part three. I'm bringing lots of headset data with me and I expect a lot of pre-rolls to be sold, no doubt. Uh, we're going to test Washington State limits on one ounce per person. I am planning on breaking my lawyer said only break one lot at a time, so I will not be speeding. And with that, I really appreciate uh, you all being here with me today. Uh, and, and for uh, Steve Kaminsky and Baked and Awake, we all appreciate it. So thanks again, Andy. Uh, much respect, and we'll be in touch. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, guys. Thank Have you. a good one. See you. Cheers, Andy. Cheers. All right. Thank you, Josh and team, for taking a few minutes out of your day to chat with us and share your 420 plans with us. Uh, Josh, I hope we can sit down for a session and a chat real soon. Everybody check out the Talking Hedge. Okay, so one of the things that I wanted to do with this episode was, you know, use it as an opportunity to take a break, you know, not do a big giant overarching uh, story like I have been lately with Nat Kuldev on Calm or, you know, Grand Tartaria and topics like that, um, the gateway process, stuff like that that, you know, we've been all about lately. Um, but take the, you know, the 420 holiday as an opportunity to uh, check back in kind of with ourselves on what we're doing here. And um, one of the ways I want to do that is by not like soapboxing a whole bunch about how great it is to be a conspiracy theorist or a truther or anything like that. Um, because, you know, it's really fucking awesome, let me tell you. I mean, my Corvette is amazing, obviously. And, uh, you know the the lifestyle that is afforded me by you know speaking these truths and speaking these speculations and asking these questions into the microphone uh week in and week out is obviously you know public acclaim and uh just adulation of an unprecedented sort um which you know frankly can really go to your head if you're not careful but um you know i mean i've got probably hundreds of subscribers by now uh, maybe Maybe <laughs> could be as many as 200 if my download numbers are any indication. <laughs> uh, what I want to do is remind myself and ourselves together of what we're really doing, as I say, by talking about fringe topics and fringe history. And the way I want to do that is... It was pointed out to me not that long ago, probably in more than one place and by more than one YouTuber. It's been observed lately that, I don't know, I don't know lately, lately, I don't know, I guess so lately. I know for one, one guy for sure, I'm pretty sure I heard Jay Dreamers talking about this not that long ago. Uh, if you're not following Jay Dreamers, uh, Dreamers with a Z, one word, J-A-Y, Dreamers with a Z, uh, already uh, follow that dude he's amazing uh, seems to be like a biblical scholar guy I think underneath it all he's kind of a Christian but he's really wide open open-minded and he's really all about the esoteric and uh, digs in on the apocrypha and um, you know he does a ton of like biblical history kind of stuff and uh, great just like 
big speculative uh, connect the dots videos about all sorts of ancient mythology and legends. And uh, J Dreamers brought it up in a fairly succinct fashion um, not that long ago. And, and uh, you know, I don't know whether the video I was watching is contemporary or one of his that's been up for a while now. So I don't know if it's a new video or an older video. But, you know, he pointed out. Something that I've observed out loud to my wife on many occasions, um, and this is why I say other people have said this before in different ways, um, but I've observed this out loud to my wife before on many occasions, and you'll hear it now and then on, on all sorts of alternative history uh, people's uh, podcasts and YouTube videos, content where they're trying to really pull things together and, and tell us a story about the, the mists of the dawn of time and the dawn of humanity. And that is this. Legends, to finally get to it, legends are a thing lumped in with myths these days in the modern vernacular that are made light of, that are looked upon kind of from a position of like a condescending modern we know better now kind of place and the observation that I've made in the past and that I'm making again today and that I'm going to attempt to back up a little bit is that legends and myths are what they are and are still with us from passed down from mouth to ear and from imagination to heart generation after generation throughout history for the very reason that there is an essential particle of truth contained in them. And yes, we all know this intellectually. We've all heard that once upon a time back in elementary school when our third or fourth grade teacher, somebody in around whatever age we would have been when they would have first made some passing and glib references to the Greeks and Romans and their mythology and that pantheon, which is about the only mythology that we get to learn in Western schools besides, well, like Paul Bunyan and American mythology, like real Western mythology, right? Um, probably because they so greatly resemble Westerners, right? Greeks and Romans. It could be largely considered Western in culture and thought, obviously. Legends, though, meant something. What do I mean? Well, what am I getting at? I want to get at what the original definition of the word legend was. We'll seek by understanding that a little better to understand ourselves. What it meant originally, how it's changed and evolved, 
what it means today and what that all means. I found a blog post about this. I read, read a couple different stories about this, as a matter of fact, but I like this blog post because this, this one's a quick read. I'm going to breeze through it. came back out in 2016 or so. It's called Word Foolery. Okay, so wordfoolery.wordpress.com. April of 2016, so three years old. The origin of legend, in parentheses, maps, and stories. Hello. This week's word is legend, partly because I love myths and legends, and partly because as a cardophile, I relish reading the legend on maps, in parentheses, the words, typically on the bottom of a map, explaining the symbols' meanings. Of course, we all know this, right? We're all cardophiles around here, apparently. I just learned that word, but... Till recently, I hadn't paid much thought to those two rather different uses of the same word. Plenty of words have more than one meaning. But then I caught the tail end of a radio interview, and the interviewee mentioned that legend refers purely to words and writing things down. I really liked that about the definition, as apparently did the writer of this blog post. Intrigued. I rummaged in the dictionaries. Unsurprisingly, legends' roots lie in Latin. Legere, L-E-G-E-R-E, means to read. I imagine it's related to legible, for example. Then, medieval Latin gives us legenda, with an A, things to be read. Something was a legenda if, in a largely illiterate world, it was worthy enough to be written down in the first place. The exact opposite of a modern throwaway tweet. Or podcast episode. <laughs> the key to a map needs to be read too. Particularly if you want to be able to read the map's symbols. Legenda migrates into Old French as legende, with an E. Fair enough, they say. Then in the early 17th century, legend turns up in Old English, but in a specific sense. This is a good part, too. The story of a saint's life. And I've heard that before as well somewhere. Such a legend was typically read aloud on that saint's day. Okay, so, you know, the... St. Christopher, St. Peter, whoever it might be, has their saint's day, and then the people are, right, they, they go to church, they have a sermon, and who do you hear about on that day in the church? You hear about that saint, right? The saint that you're there to honor, and you hear their legend. So, Over time, legends came to include heroes, myths, and other more pagan tales. So is that it came to include them, or the world came to recognize that these other heroes, myths, and pagan tales were also legendary and therefore worthy of being written down? On a recent Beaver Scout camp, we declared one young boy a camping legend because despite his mother's careful packing and our regular reminders, 
he managed to remain in the same clothes and avoid a toothbrush for the entire trip. After all, you are meant to get grubby on camp, right? Our writer Grace signs off with, until next time, happy reading, writing, and word fooling. So I loved her piece on legend and the connection to read and write was so worthwhile in terms of my additional looking into that, that I found another blog post that I have to, you know, share with you guys as well. Um, Yes, I, I stumbled there because it's not exactly a blog. It's Medium, right? It's medium.com. So do we call those blogs? Maybe. Um, this is from a writer, a creator on Medium called The Philippendium. I love it. So, yep. Philip Bruchard is our writer here. And this piece is entitled Word Connections, Read and Write. Now let's smoke a little bit more because we got to get we got to get strapped in for this one. Uh, Philip is a little heavier duty than Grace was in terms of his entomology work here that he's going to do for us and make us do with him. Smoking sounds quiet sounds of smoking the old bowl tap bowl tap the words read and write the two most fundamental terms we use regarding the process of communicating using the written form of a language. The word for read is remarkably similar across Western European languages, except for English. Likewise, the word for write is remarkably similar across Western European languages, except for English. On the other hand, English is full of other words, but not read and write, that are closely related to the European words for read and write. The origins of this strange situation deserve a closer look. And don't worry, he's got a little, throws us a bone here about legend. In most Western European languages, the word for read starts with the letter L. These languages can be divided into two main groups those of Latin origin, and those of Germanic origin. In each of the Latin languages, Italian, Spanish, French, etc., the modern word is derived from leger, the Latin word for read. The Italian word is still legere, but it's more like legere, with two Gs, E-R-E, essentially unchanged from the Latin that was my best Super Mario uh, Italian accent right there. In the other Romance languages, the G sound was lost, and so we have leer in Spanish, two E's, ler 
in Portuguese and lire in French. In English, we have many words that are derived from leggere. An obvious example is legible. You were right, Grace. Which means capable of being read. In Latin, the past participle of leggere is lectus. And from this root, we get English words such as lecture and lectern. The original idea of a lecture back in the days when few people could read was that someone would stand before an assembly of people reading from a book. And of course, the person doing the reading stood behind a lectern, which supported the book. A bit less obvious is that the English word lesson also traces back to lectus. The word lesson comes from the old French lechon, leçon. Uh, it is a it is a, 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 a s sound because it has the little curly q under the c. Forgive me, which came from the Latin lectio, lectio, long e, long o, which meant a reading, which in turn came from lectus. Part of what I love about this article is he's precise about this, and it sort of belabors the commonalities between all these languages, but it is something that we continuously sort of are brushing up against in that conspiracy mystery history realm is the common threads between all our cultures and all our languages in so many ways. As different as we are on the surface, you look like one layer down, and all of a sudden, almost everybody is playing from the same playbook, the same rule book, going back a really long ways. So, to continue, the Latin word legere also has two older meanings, to gather or to choose. When Latin first became a written language. The people needed a word for read, so they gave a third meaning to the word legere. It seems a bit of a stretch, but you might think of reading as gathering words or gathering ideas. The new meaning for legere did not completely replace the older meanings. Instead, the older meanings continued to live on, especially in words that included prefixes. Many of these words entered English in the form of lect, attached to a prefix. Such words include collect, select, and elect. The word collect has a clear connection to gathering. Co, of course, right? while select and elect are clearly connected to choosing. The list of words derived from legere does not end there. Our word legend, here's our bone, comes from the idea of things to be read. The word legion comes from the idea of gathering and choosing men for an army. The word elegant reflected the idea of carefully choosing one's clothes. The words intelligent and intellect 
come from attaching the prefix inter to legere. In Latin, this combination means to understand. The prefix inter means between. So the word intelligent essentially means reading between the lines. A way of saying that a person truly understands the text. Now, let's hop over to the Germanic languages. The German word for read is lesen, L-E-S-E-N, which is amazingly similar to the English word lesson. Although neither word is directly derived from the other, both words trace back to a common Indo-European word, which predated both the Latin languages and the Germanic languages. This word originally referred to gatherings, as in gathering wild fruit. But in both the Latin and the Germanic branches, the word eventually came to mean to read. Okay. <laughs> Maybe to read the landscape, you know, and see where the wild fruit would be. It's totally my speculation right there. The, you know, just sort of scanning. The upshot, the upshot excuse me, is that all of the Germanic languages, except for English, in parentheses, have similar words for read. Therefore, today we have lesen in German and lesen with a Z in Dutch. We have laes in Danish, L-A-E-S-E, -E, and lasse in Swedish, lese in Norwegian. But English did not follow the trend and went its own route instead. I heard somewhere maybe also recently from J-Dreamers, uh, somebody, somebody else was talking language, uh, that English meant anglish, like the, it's a language tilted on its side and, you know, went a different direction than everybody else's languages, right? The English word read comes from the old English raeda, which meant to advise, counsel, or guess. While these were the principal meanings of the word, the word also picked up several other meanings, such as to read, explain, or learn by reading. In modern English, the original meaning is no longer attached to the word. But in the other Germanic languages, the corresponding word has kept the earlier meanings. In modern Dutch, the word raden means to guess, advise, or counsel. In modern German, the word raten means, R-A-T-E-N, means to advise or guess. Okay, I see it. And in Swedish, the word rada, R-A-D-A, with a weird little dot accent over the A, uh, the first A, means to advise, prevail, or counsel. Same as raden, right? The situation with the word right is similar to that of read. Virtually all of the Western European languages use a word for write that is derived from the Latin word scriber. In modern Italian, the word for write is scrivere, E-R-E. -E. In Spanish, the word is escribir, and in Portuguese, it is escrever.
In French, the word has been shortened to écrire. In Swedish, the word for write is skriva. In Danish and Norwegian, the word is skriva. In German, the word for write is schrieben. And in Dutch, the word is schrijven. I-J-V. Schrijven. It's fun to try to say it <laughs> all these different ways, that's for sure. In English, the word scribe, a person whose occupation is writing, is clearly derived from the Latin scribere, but so is the word scribble, which means to write in a rapid and sloppy manner. When you track a prefix on the front of the word, you get lots of other English words, such as describe, inscribe, Prescribe, subscribe, and transcribe. The Latin word scriptum is the past participle of scriber, and from this word we have acquired several English words, including script, scripture, manuscript, and postscript, all of which deal with writing. From the same root, we also have several nouns that end in shun, T-I-O-N, such as description, inscription, prescription, subscription, and transcription. However, unlike the other Western European languages, our English word write does not come from scriber. Instead, it comes from the Old English, ritan, W-R-I-T-A-N, which originally meant to scratch, in the sense of scratching lines or symbols onto a hard surface. As the concept of writing down texts took hold, the meaning of the word expanded to cover this new activity, and eventually, the original meaning of the word was abandoned. Today, we used the words scratch, score, etch, engrave, or inscribe to cover the original meaning of written. The ancient Greek word for writing or drawing was graphe, graphi, long e. From this word came the modern English words graph, graphic, and graphite. We also have a huge number of words that combine graph with another root, such as autograph, bibliography, biography, calligraphy, cartography, cryptography, demographics, Geography, holographic, lithograph, oceanography, paragraph, phonograph, photograph, pictograph, pornography, seismograph, telegraph, typography, typographical, and videography. To name but a few. Any discussion of reading and writing naturally leads to the topic of books. The word book comes from the Old English word bulk. 
be long O, C, which meant a document or charter. Later on, as books became available, the term was applied to these as well, and eventually the word came to mean only the multi-page documents that we currently call a book. In the other Germanic languages, the same evolution of the term occurred, and so today, the modern German word for book is Buch, B-U-C-H. In Dutch, the word is Boek, B-O-E-K. In Swedish and Norwegian, the word for book is Bok, B-O-K, and in Danish, the word is Bog, B-O-G. In the Latin-based languages, the word for book is inherited from the Latin word liber, which originally meant tree bark, but eventually came to mean book. The Latin word liber is essentially identical to another Latin word, liber. Liber, excuse me, which means free, long I. But apparently this similarity is a coincidence. In parentheses, the author says, however, it is fun to consider the idea that books set you free, which would make a great pun in Latin. Due, obviously, to the visual joke there as well. In modern Spanish and Italian, the word for book is libro. In Portuguese, the word for book is livro. And in French, it is livre. In English, there are several words from the same Latin root. For example, a libretto is the first is the set of words in an opera or other long work. The word libel also comes from liber. Originally, the word libel meant a document or written statement, any document or written statement, but the meaning has narrowed to refer only to documents that contain intentional falsehoods. The most obvious English word derived from liber is library, which of course means a collection of books. A person can have a personal library, but the popular use of the term usually refers to a building that contains a very large number of books, especially a public library, where the general public can read or borrow books. What makes this use of the word a bit odd is that in all of the Latin-based languages, the word library took a slightly different turn. The original Latin word was librarium, librarium, which meant a chest for holding books. The closely related word libraria came to mean a bookseller's shop. So those were the Latin there. Sound just like library. Today, the Spanish word libraria and the French word librairie, like A-I-R-I-E, both mean bookstore. Likewise, the Italian word libreria and the Portuguese word livraria also mean bookstore. All of these languages use a completely different word to mean library, which we'll describe in a moment. Of course, a bookstore and a library both contain books, but we find it helpful to use two different words to distinguish between these two concepts. Just keep the old throat lubricated for us. And keep these lungs topped up as well because like we said it's a 420 episode among the germanic languages the word for bookstore is usually a compound word consisting of the word for book 
plus a word meaning shop or trade. The German word for bookstore is Buchladen, where Laden means shop or store. Likewise, the Dutch word is Buchwinkel, where Winkel also means shop or store. The Swedish and Norwegian words for bookstore is Bokhandel, where Handel means trade or commerce. The Danish word Boghandel is nearly identical. While the Romance and German languages have gone in two distinct directions on the word for bookstore, they are united on the word for library. That is, except for English, which is the odd man out again, just as with the words for read and write. Throughout Western Europe, the Latin word for library, biblioteca, has been adopted into the local languages. In Spanish, Italian, and Portuguese, the word for library is biblioteca. In Danish, Swedish, and Norwegian, the word is bibliotek, just a K. In German, the word is bibliotek, T-H-E-K. And in Dutch, the word is bibliotheek, two E's and a K. In French, the word is biblioteca, Q-U-E. The Latin word biblioteca is derived from the Greek word biblioteca, th long e-k-e, which meant bookcase or library. The Greek was compounded from two e the earlier words, biblion, which meant book, and theke, which meant receptacle. We have several words in English that come from biblion, such as Bible. A bibliography is a list of books and articles about a particular topic. And a bibliophile is someone who loves books. This brings us to the end of our discussion about read and write. The author closes by saying, I hope you've enjoyed what you've read. Feel free to write a comment if you are so inspired, and don't forget to click the heart icon if you enjoyed this essay. Well, let's... Give him some, give him some props. Make sure we're giving some love where it's well-deserved. That Philippendium story I found highly educational. And really, at the end of the day, the thing that was so exciting to me was to read that definition of legend contained within his description here and to recap that is to say our word legend comes from the idea of quote things to be read my takeaway from this story from both of the stories we just read is that The reason why I find legends and myths so endlessly interesting and so worthwhile of my attention, and I include the greatest myths and legends of them all in this when I am describing this, including 
the very Bible that was just mentioned at the end of that story on reading and writing, words and their meanings, is that in a time when everything was probably a little harder and a little more manual and a little more laborious and a little more painstaking and a little more vulnerable and a little more ephemeral in most cases. For anyone to take the time to memorize a legend and hand it down around the dinner table or the fire late at night at story time. If the legend was important enough to perhaps even made its way into a book in a time when every page of paper might have taken weeks or months to produce as opposed to you know, minutes as it probably does today, let alone you know, sourcing ink, right? And, and writing accurately and correctly the text. For it to exist, there was a reason. There was value. There was like essential, crucial to your life, learn this or probably die value. Importance. Stories of heroes who committed acts and deeds and left behind impressions and left behind stories that our ancestors have never forgotten and never allowed to be forgotten and have passed them down in innumerable myriad different ways but always somehow faithfully still in the ways that matter most legends and myths were real there's more there than we give them credit for today we suffer from a mindset of to coin a term off the top of my head like I so often do just making shit up like modern exceptionalism that we are the zenith of the height of human intellect and civilization society and culture that all of history has been one long, slow, laborious, toiling grind to get to this moment where we, shining, intelligent, futuristic, cybernetically enhanced humans with one eye on the future, barely one eye on the present, what's going on around us in our everyday lives and nary a care for the past are poised to what? Take humanity to ever greater heights? Greatness undreamed of? Colonization of Mars and the solar system? 
in the 21st century and beyond? I don't know. I'm not so sure. But I am sure that I spent the time I just did on read and write and on the origin of the word legend to remind us all that these things are here for a reason. They always have been. And whatever short-sighted lens we may want to take and look upon history with and look back on the last 50 or 100 years and imagine that they're the only events and part of the timeline that have any bearing on our reality today and that all the myths and legends that were recorded in pre-Western, pre-technological, pre-Cartesian, Newtonian physics paradigm history are nothing but mysticism and superstition, tales to comfort barely civilized early humans, members of a a proto-society that, you know, barely resembles our advanced world today, and thus worthy of our contempt. No. No. Ignore them at our peril. We are. We do. Every day. We're we're here, right? We're here, okay? Snap out of it, Steve. We're here. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do. We're going to stay here. We're going to keep on coming back here. We're going to keep on talking right here. We're going to keep on parsing what is happening, what, who we are, what we are, what is going on around us, where are my pants, all these things and more. All right. I think I'm going to hit pause, and then let's come back and do a dab because I got another story for you. That you're really gonna like. Go get your shit together. Come back. Let's do a dab. Pausing in three, two, one. down that banger for a little 420 dab so yeah 420 is all about the weed i guess in darker news it's hitler's birthday tell you guys a little super short anecdote right now here wait let me take this dab and then i'll tell you a short anecdote Okay, I'm originally from Long Island, New York. Grew up there until I was about 14, 15 years of age. Came out here, went to all of high school years out here. Um, got married young. Didn't stay together with the young lady, beautiful young lady. Uh, ended up uh, breaking up with her a little after after a uh, well, year or so. Um, moved back to New York just in time for my 21st birthday. Yeah, that's right. I was a child bride. 
got married under 21. And of course, those never work out, as you know. So to get away from Seattle, where I was living, and everybody was asking me, what happened to your beautiful wife? What happened to your beautiful life? You, you little fucking squid, you dumbass. Uh, I moved back to New York for a while. Go back to New York. Go right back to Long Island. Go right back to the town I come from originally, West Hempstead, New York. There's this little shitty corner bar on the corner down there in West Hempstead on Hempstead Avenue, um, right by Reister's Bakery. Don't remember the name of the bar. I hope to God it's not still there today, but it probably is. Um, It's on the corner of Hempstead Avenue and Sycamore Street. If you know the area, you know the spot. It's a dive bar that's been there since the dawn of humanity, as far as I can tell. And I remember growing up always wanting to go into that magical place that smelled like cigarettes and beer. And uh, I've, in my childhood, my earlier years, had darkened the doorway of the place like one time to pick up some food for my parents or a neighbor like one time in my whole life. And then before that, my whole life, all we ever did as little kids was pick up cigarette butts off the sidewalk in front of the place and try to smoke them. And listen to and look and peer in the door in fleeting glances here and there. Uh, Sometimes in the summertime, the door was open. Grow up, move away, eight, nine years, get married, fucking get divorced, come back, New York, huge failure, 21-year-old rando now. My whole family's moved away. Start going to that bar because I'm 21 now. So, hell yeah, going to that bar. So I started going to that shitty dive bar, and I would get my food there and stuff because I lived just up the block from the place in some room I was renting in some house on on another block in the town that I had really never spent any time on before back in the day. This was just a house that was for rent, you know, block uh, house on the block. Shout out to old landlord Steve. That was a crazy house. Old uh, crazy PTSD Lou, Vietnam vet Lou, God bless you. I hope you're still kicking around. And, uh, oh, God, I even remember Ed, the even more, like, Rough around the edges, down on his luck. Uh, frankly, kind of lonely old. Uh, I think he was a World War II vet uh, dude who lived in the in the house with us. So this was a room full of dudes, and there was Rob in the basement, who was actually the cool guy who had like a rock band and music instruments down there, and would hang out and party, and we'd smoke cigarettes and drink beer and smoke bowls in the backyard sometimes. Great, great house. Anyway, uh, for a flop house, total halfway house, flop house situation. Can't. Oh my god, I could tell you guys stories about that place forever. Anyway, to bring this little anecdote around and wrap it up for you. Long before I knew about 420 as a holiday, certainly was smoking weed back then. 420 just wasn't that big of a deal to us back then in 90s, whatever it was. And uh, I was sitting in that bar once upon a 420. There must have been 95 or 96. I'd only be going to the bar for a few months at that point in time, but I was pretty excited. I felt like I was getting to be a regular in this uh, old neighborhood bar, you know, from my childhood, that I was going to get to be a worthless, burned-out, 20-something-year-old drunk at, apparently, was my goal at the time. Um, And the older gentleman, kind of a Bavarian-looking fella, cool old dude, bartender, you know, this uh, kind of white-collared shirt, not really quite bow-tie-wearing, old dude but you know just like a nice formal old-fashioned bartender i don't remember his name now at this point in time um and again i hope at this point that you know he's gone on to his great reward because i'm kind of speaking out of school on him right now but frankly we're in there sitting there and i'm having like my first or second beer of the night 
settling in. And I think it was like a Friday this year or something like that. It was it felt like a weekend night because I was, I was otherwise getting ready to settle in and hang out. What the hell did I care? Though I was in my 20s. It could have been a fucking Tuesday. Um, somebody's like, oh, yeah. How are you, Bob? Let's call him Bob. The bartender. And uh, he's like, oh, doing great. Yada, yada. He's like, I'm happy today. You know, it's a great day. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's the 20th. It's this or that. And I don't think they were referring by any means to the <laughs> stoner holiday. This wasn't that kind of bar. So something else entirely that they were mentioning. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's that. It's that. Oh, and it's also. Well, you know what else it is, don't you? And they're like, no, what, what is it? And he's like, the Fuhrer's birthday. And they're like, huh? And he's like, yeah. It's Adolf Hitler's birthday. And he literally, you know, they literally, even they were kind of like, what? And uh, so, you know, he was celebrating the Fuhrer's birthday, uh, this old bartender. And uh, I all of a sudden felt a lot different about my surroundings in that place at that moment in time. So I guess I, I just finished my beer. I don't guess. I know I did. I just finished my beer. I kind of clammed up. I, I don't think I was really saying much to anybody at that moment in time, but as you could tell, I'm, you know, a conversational person, so I, I probably would have been talking to people at any given moment in time in that place where they talking to me or looking at me. But I clammed right up and uh, finished my beer. And, like, mopped up the little broken pieces of my heart uh, off the counter of the bar before anybody saw them and packed my ass up and got the fuck out of there. Never went back in again. Lived back on Long Island on this little move back for, you know, the next like three years and never went back in that place again. Um, and yeah. That's my story <laughs> about that bar. But that's a bonus story because that wasn't what we were going to talk about. But, you know, whatever. We'll see. Maybe I lost a bunch of you by now. Maybe. I'm not going to worry about it, though. We're going to keep on plugging and get back to what we were going to get back to, which is something else that happens around 420 every year. Not exactly on the 20th every time. That being, uh, for example... Um, one of these holidays, but we're going to talk right now about the two holidays, both of which are starting tomorrow, the same day as our weed holiday, and that are very much probably, very easily argued to be much more significant, <laughs> right? And that's Passover and Easter, all right? And not to get too weird and religious on you here, but we get spiritual all the time on this show, right? We're just always talking about this stuff and checking it out, right? So we're going to remind ourselves what these two even are at all, right? What are these holidays? I was raised in the church, but not everybody was. My own wife wasn't, for example, so maybe she'll listen to this episode. We'll see, and maybe we'll both learn a little something about Easter, the Christian holiday that I celebrated growing up, and Passover, the uh, Jewish holiday. Um, found this source called myjewishlearning.com 
And so, uh, and this is a great article about the deep connection between these two holidays. Let's jump right in, though. All right, this is written by Rabbi Ismar Skorsh. Shorsh. The frequent overlapping of Easter and Passover of the Christian Holy Week with our eight-day celebration of Passover merits attention. Unlike the yoking of Christmas and Hanukkah, Easter and Passover are festivals of equal gravity. Side by side, they bring to light the deep structures of both religions. First, their inviolable matrix is spring. Come on, spring. In each case, the calendar is adjusted to ensure that the holiday is celebrated early in the spring. So in each case being the Christian and the Jewish calendar, right? For the church, which believed that the resurrection took place on a Sunday, the First Council of Nicaea in 325 determined that Easter should always fall on the first Sunday after the first full moon, following the vernal equinox. First, full Sunday, first Sunday after the first full moon, following the vernal equinox. In consequence, Easter remained without a fixed date, but proximate to the full moon, which coincided with the start of Passover on the 15th of the Hebrew month, Nisan, spelled just like the car brand, actually. By the same token, the rabbis understood the verse... Quote, you go free on this day in the month of Aviv. That verse is Exodus 13, 4. Chapter 13, verse 4, everybody. All right. To restrict Passover to early spring. That is, in a transitional month when the winter rains end and the weather turns mild. The word Aviv actually means fresh ears of barley. Okay, not like harvesting, like fresh ones growing, right? The time to sow. Moreover, since the Torah had stipulated that the month in which the exodus from Egypt occurred should mark the start of a new year, that is in Exodus chapter 2, verse 12, the end of the prior year was subject to periodic extension in order to keep the Jewish lunar calendar in sync with the solar year. This stuff is what I love, you guys. People have always been as smart as us and arguably smarter. <laughs> this is what this stuff always really drives home for me. Thus, if the barley in the fields or the fruit on the trees had not ripened sufficiently for bringing the Omer, the first barley sheaf, which was donated to the temple, or the first fruits to the temple, the arrival of Passover could be delayed by declaring a leap year and doubling the final month of Adar. This must be a Torah citation next is Tosefta Sanhedrin, chapter 2, verse 2. And it looks like a link. Let's click it and see where it takes us. Yep, it's going to take us to sepharia.org. This is Hebrew script, so that's really cool. But... I got an email not that long ago from somebody who literally sent me a bunch of photos of an ancient Hebrew scroll. They also thought I was somebody else. 
Uh, but a cool guy who I sent that information on to, uh, nevertheless. Um, but I, I don't know if he was able to do anything with it either. They were asking for help figuring it out. <laughs> it was like really one of those cool like Indiana Jones moments. But uh, story for another time. All right, so that's what that'll get you if you click the Tosefta Sanhedrin chapter 2 verse 2 link. You guys can check this out. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's already in there. Continuing. In short, Easter and Passover were destined to coincide time and again. So it sounds like both of those holidays, as we can see, are clearly tied to right around now and are going to diverge slightly but come back over and over again and and slightly by only a few days, as we know. Both festivals emphasize history and hope. That's a big subtitle here. Second, in both festivals, nature and history converge with a resounding message of hope. The renewal of nature that comes with spring amplifies the promise of redemption embedded in the historical events being commemorated. To each faith community, God's presence manifests itself in two keys, in nature and through history. Yet, in both, the preferred medium is history, a legacy of the biblical shift to monotheism. Judaism and Christianity rest firmly on the foundation stories recounted ritually in their respective spring festivals. In Egypt, the family of Jacob had morphed into a nation welded together by the bitter experience of oppression. Redemption by God imbued them with the national mission to create a body politic of a nobler order. Though their descendants failed, the body of religious literature which recorded their efforts and voiced their ideals would challenge humanity even as it would comfort them in their long exile. To recall the exodus in dark times nurtured the yearning for a future restoration, which is why Passover ends with the reciting of a haftarah, that is prophetic reading in parentheses, that bristles with this worldly messianism. That is in Isaiah 10, chapters 32, or 1032. Okay, yeah, chapter 10, verse 32 through chapter 12, verse 6, if I'm reading that right. That link will also be in Hebrew when you guys encounter that, so you might have to find that in an English Bible, Old Testament. If Passover is largely about Egypt, Easter is largely about Passover. Its historical setting is Jerusalem at Passover. The Last Supper could well have been an embryonic seder, and Jesus is fated to become the paschal lamb, sacrificial lamb. Indeed, the new catechism of the Catholic Church calls Easter, quote, the Christian Passover, and speaks of the paschal, I think I'm saying that correctly, be Paschal, S-C-H, Mystery of Christ's Cross. The good news is that the death of one has the capacity to save many. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate affirmation of life, or, in the words of the Byzantine liturgy, Christ has risen from the dead. Dying, he conquered death. To the dead, he has given life. 
Finally, because the message of both festivals is so central to the belief system of each faith community, it interlaces the liturgy year-round. In the Haggadah, we read that Rabbi Elazar ben Azirah, Azariah was already advanced in years before he fathomed that the exodus from Egypt should be recalled by every Jew twice daily, in the evening as well as the morning. See, so they hadn't been doing it, and then they added it. That is the reason for the addition at the third paragraph of the Shema, a prayer said twice daily, in parentheses, in which this bedrock fact is affirmed. God's compassion obliges us to sanctify our lives. Correspondingly for Catholics and many Protestants, the weekly sacrament of communion, reenacting the Last Supper, turns God's saving grace into a lived reality. Still, for all their commonalities, Passover and Easter diverge fundamentally. While both festivals are about delivery from a state of despair, be it slavery or sin, Passover heralds the birth of the Jewish people as a force for good in the comedy of nations. Comity, C-O-M-I-T-Y, great word. In contrast, Easter assures the individual Christian life eternal. Passover summons Jews collectively into the world to repair it. Easter prefers a way out of a world beyond repair. Passover reflects a worldview that devalues life after death and privileges the community over the individual. Easter bespeaks a religion that reverses both sets of priorities, enabling it to comfort those who had lost faith in the gods of Rome. And this is me here. We've heard it said many times before that Christianity in the New Testament form is like a, like a, in a lot of ways could be interpreted as like a prepackaged guidebook for how to live a meek life in the worldly realm with the promise of everlasting life if you just like toe the line and as they famously always quote in many other places and ways, but so frequently we say render unto Caesar what is Caesar's is attributed to Jesus or one of the apostles. So, again, that's me. Shut up, Steve. It is well known that Passover is not the only Jewish New Year. Right? Because I, I didn't think Passover was Jewish New Year either per se, but I guess it is in a way, right? So here's how it works, because there's Rosh Hashanah, right? That, in fact, it came to share that role with Rosh Hashanah. Whereas our months are numbered from Nisan, now here he, the rabbi has it written N-I-S-A-N with one S. Earlier up top, it had two S's. Maybe it's just one S, and that was a, a typo up top. But in parentheses, when Passover falls, Nisan, all right, uh, the months are numbered starting there. The years are counted from Tishrei, T-I-S-H-R-E-I, 
and that, in parentheses, that's the month in which Rosh Hashanah falls. The reason for that anomaly is the development of Rosh Hashanah after the canonization of the Hebrew Bible, perhaps concomitantly with the emergence of Christianity, into a festival that addressed itself solely to the fate of the individual. And uh, I want to say, I mean, when is Rosh Hashanah? September 29th starts and ends on October 1st. So, I mean, this is totally their own calendar here. The Mishnah stresses that on Rosh Hashanah alone, God has, quote, all inhabitants of the world pass before him, like flocks of sheep. Rosh Hashanah 1 verse 2. On the other three pilgrimage festivals, including Passover, the world is judged by God collectively. Okay, so you hear that difference? They... they even though they're passing before him like flocks of sheep, he has individual, you know, granularity on everybody as they pass before him on Rosh Hashanah. But on the other festivals, it's we as a collective community. The expansion of the nameless first day of the seventh month, when loud blasts were to be sounded, Leviticus twenty three twenty four and Numbers twenty nine, chapter twenty nine verse one into a solemn day of judgment for every single member of humanity suggests a Jewish response to a society with a heightened sense for the importance of the individual. The result, however, is not a transformation of Judaism. Its deep structure remains intact. Rosh Hashanah joins Passover. It does not replace it. While the valence of the individual is definitely elevated, pre like, like prevalence, valence, okay, the priority of the group is not devalued. This guy's a wordsmith. Judaism continues to be animated by a spirit of communitarianism. Yep, so the priority of the group is not devalued. Judaism continues to be animated by a spirit of communitarianism. Likewise, the dominant orientation stays this, worldly. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are not about getting into heaven. Our profusion of prayers carries aloft a modest request of God to give us but one more year to try again, to live our life in such a manner as to make a difference. Our task is to mend the world, not flee it. The retention of two new years, one in the spring, the other in the fall, bespeaks the remarkable effort to keep polarities in balance. Reprinted with permission of the Jewish Theological Seminary at least at myjewishlearning.com. We didn't really get anybody's permission to read this, but please go check out myjewishlearning.com, though, and 
see what else you can learn about the Jewish religion, the Hebrew religion, the Hebrew culture, Jewish religion. Somebody help me out there. Anyway, I I, I loved I loved this article. I you know stumbled a little bit here and there on some of the terms, but I read it before uh, reading it for you folks, and uh, just loved how eloquent this rabbi was on giving us like the straight top level understanding of this for for all of us and sort of the bedrock understanding I'm I'm not going to do the occult history of Easter I did that last year okay if you guys want to I'm almost positive I did that right around this time last year when I did my 420 episode then because again Easter you guys so you know we've got this day that we have a lot of fun with and that's great but it's also a really interesting and powerful time of year for the Christian and Jewish calendars you know, very spiritual very very important as we're sometimes also reminded and, you know, I'm just taking my time with this, you guys, because we don't even, you know, it's going to be a long episode. I'm, I don't even know how long it is right now because I've been doing this all in, like, separate tracks for once. Like, somebody who does separate tracks and actually produces their episode. I don't know if it's going to work out or not, but I do it sometimes to varying degrees. But um, at any rate, hopefully you're stoned as shit anyway, and it's going to be a nice, you know, chill 420 episode, right? And you can always, if you're in a rush, hit that 1.25 X button. I should start telling people to do that at the top of the episode. Like, if you want to listen to me, like I sound like I had a great cup of coffee right before hitting record, just hit that speed playback button and hit 1.2 or 1.5. It starts sounding a little bit like a chipmunk at that point, but then again, so do we all. And whatever. (laughs) Get a lot of listening done that way. I get a lot of listening done that way. But I was reminded just today... Uh, by a Instagram friend who I'll tell you about in just a second. Um, but And as we're, you know, every once in a while, just like reminded about halfway through 420 when we're in the middle of seeing all the cool like twax joint posts and like gratuitous gram plus dabs and stop dropping globs and fucking, you know, give away this and fucking, you know, we'd party that and we're on a boat and blah, blah, blah. You know, you know what's up, 420, right? The, the whole feed is just saturated with it um but we're reminded that while we're out here having fun yeah you know where i'm going with this people are flopping around in jail in like all 50 states of the united states and in countries all over the world and i don't mean jail i mean prison in a lot of cases in most cases full-blown prison like branded for life stigmatized felons either in there rotting or out and wishing they were back in because it was almost better, easier on them in there than it is when you get back out in the world and you realize you can't even work in this new industry that everybody else is making money in. And in a lot of cases, states are straightening that out and these people are getting chances to work in the business. But I know here in Washington, for example, none of those folks were able to obtain a license in the first place, for example, right? If you had any drug offenses in your past you know major drug offenses you know any any like you sold weed you were 
you know, went to jail for a year or something back in your 20s, and now you're in your 40s and tried to get a license. You know, no, none of those people were allowed to get licenses here in Washington State, right? Even if you had paid your quote-unquote debt to society. So, you know, one of my friends on Instagram today reposted a post. Uh, this uh, this account, The Red Growers, is kind of an amazing, like, communist philosophy, slanted, pr- like, proliferating, but farming-oriented Instagram profile and, and person, an individual. I believe they work at a collective farm and are you know we've had we've had a couple of light low-key chats and exchanges here and there on instagram nothing too heavy yet um i I love to get to know them better and continue to you know learn more about what they're all about but i mean from everything i see they're killing it on like the no-till permaculture organic approach gardening front and are having tons of fun and teaching a lot of people a lot more about like communism than they ever thought they could learn in a brief image here and there on instagram right and whether you agree with that philosophy and form of government or not, or any form of government or not, it's great to learn different things about different folks with different uh, worldviews than you anyway. And in a uh, hundred different ways, a hundred different times a day, I feel like I agree with everything I see these guys post anyway. So their hearts are in the right place as far as I'm concerned. So, But they found a post and passed it along from another look, cool-looking account that I just followed because of this post, but that is um, at Street Fight WCRS, and they're like some sort of like anarcho-comedy, you know, content creator of some kind. So I, I haven't fucked with them too much yet. We'll learn. We'll learn more about them. But they posted a simple meme that reminded us all: Let's turn 420 into a day of protest for the amnesty of all prisoners incarcerated for marijuana. To which I say, that is a fine idea. And one worth building on and developing, in my opinion, year over year, until everyone currently rotting in prison for especially nonviolent especially cannabis-related, but especially nonviolent drug offenses of any kind, comes home for good. I don't know exactly what action to take on that yet, today, because, as I said, it's 419, and I saw that post an hour ago, something like that. But I like it, and I like the thought of it. And we've talked about the sentencing project here before, and we've talked about normal here before, and we've talked about other groups that are doing good work on a number of different fronts to try, and, and in particular, people like the sentencing project, to, to, to lower, to reduce or commute entirely sentences in particular for nonviolent drug offenders. All right, that's their mission. I'll, I'll add them to the show notes for us. Uh, once again today, we've shared them in the past, um, but, you know, I gave the Red Growers credit because they're the ones who pushed it into my feed, but we should follow Street Fight WCRS and, and uh, see, you know, if that's something that they also, you know, consume that's been kicking around the web. Maybe it's come from, you know, 50 other places as well, and if so, like, let's let's figure that out. Let's figure out a way to... Like, 
donate to causes every year around this time, like those that I just mentioned, um, and raise funds for them. Um, let's, you know, center our sort of energies of awareness on like checking in each year around this time for how have we done in the last year for solving this, trying to solve this, trying to right this wrong. Um, I welcome your comments and suggestions for how to capture that and make it a thing that's more than just some words I said on 419.19 that we didn't come back to or do anything about after the fact ever again. Uh, the way you can help me do that is email me. Talk to us at bakedandawake.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, Baked and Awake, and you should definitely, while you're on Instagram, follow The Red Growers at The Red Growers and at Street Fight WCRS. Um, follow them both today. Follow me if you haven't already. Finally, um, and yeah, and yeah, but you know, not to just like jump off of that. Let's seriously give me some suggestions uh, how we can do something with this. You know, s small steps. Let's just start with something small. Some of the things I just mentioned might be actionable. Uh, let me know how you can help. So, yeah, I, I'm going to let you go, though. I'm going to congratulate uh, my new friend, David Hardo, also on Instagram. So follow David Harto, H-A-R-T-O, uh, a local Seattle artisan specializing in, from what I've seen so far here on his Instagram profile that I just followed a few minutes ago, uh, in, like, beautiful, crazy light fixtures with a unique style. And uh, he got off his us today and found a little Baked and Awake care package that I also shared on Instagram and showed everybody... Uh, online earlier today, prob probably, possibly criminally, I don't know, anyway, uh, that I stashed out in Ballard. No, it wasn't criminal because everything that was in there was totally legit cool stuff um, and totally legal and for adults only and was consumed and uh, claimed by an adult, Mr. Hardo. Uh, check out my feed, as I just mentioned, Baked and Wake, to see the goodies David scooped. Follow him and, yeah. That was just a little 420 care package from me to you, David, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you hear this shout-out, too. So, uh, Speaking of shout-outs, thank you for coming to my 420 episode, everybody. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to all of this, half as much as I enjoyed making it. Uh, thanks to Super Chronic Josh for his stellar field work for us on literally zero notice. Thanks to Chris Tapps. Andersons of the Darkness Collective and the Eastern Border Podcast for his recent two-episode collaboration with me on the Nat Cull Dev Uncom CIA document. That is the Nat National Cultural Development Under Communism doc. And if you haven't heard of that, go check out those both of those amazing episodes if you've yet to do so. Just scroll down in your feed. I'm also always grateful to my patrons on Patreon. Um, that link's always in the show notes, and even though I love my patrons, you don't even have to do all of that, okay? If you just want to support the show, and I don't know that you do, but maybe you do, uh, on a one-time or now and then, like whenever you feel like it, basis, like a tip kind of thing. I'm making a face right now, like a tip. Uh, just visit bakedandawake.com, www.bakedandawake.com, anytime, and find that support tab. 
I think it's called, you know, there's a whole page there just for support. And it's linked to a good old fashioned, just like granddad used to like PayPal button. And there's no gift so small that it won't instantly warm my heart. Maybe maybe you're even the type who likes to get something in exchange for your hard-earned dinero. <laughs> crazy, crazy people. Uh, well then, my friend, please allow me to direct you to the banner you see right at the top of that Baked and Wake homepage. If you see that flashing white banner right up there, I'm pointing at it. If you click that baby, you can go straight to my T Public storefront where you can order some of the finest, hopefully not sweatshop sourced threads you'll find anywhere. I've ordered a bunch of them by now. I love them. T shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, coffee mugs. The coffee mugs are really good. Uh, a couple of my designs that we have are make great mugs. Uh, phone cases, tote bags. They make tote bags. Does anybody really use tote bags? Asking for a friend. That friend is me. Anyway, you name it, they make it there at Tee Public. Click that banner from my website. You can find it in the show notes too, but whatever. Go visit the website. I like it when people visit the website. I made it. <laughs> made it. Whatever. I used a tool to make it. I didn't do shit. Um, rep the pod. You know, with the T Public gear around the house or maybe at work. Maybe remember to listen because you're wearing your shirt and you're like, oh, hey, I should listen. Maybe even remember to tell somebody about the show sometime. That'd be the best. Uh, okay. I think I've kept you long enough. You've got lots of other stuff to do. I know it's 420, you guys, but you probably have some nachos to make or a dog to walk or something to do. Go do something. It's raining here in Seattle. It's probably going to be raining again tomorrow. We have a family party down in uh, Olympia, Washington area, a beautiful part of the state. Uh, maybe, depending on how far we are from downtown, maybe I'll drag this, the old Famalam closer to downtown Olympia. We'll take a look at some of those cool old buildings down in Olympia. Because we got, we got a lot of that cool Tartarian-inspired architecture down there, I tell you. Oh, so much, you know. I haven't even gone there yet and turned on the camera. Um, and I owe you guys a YouTube video too. But I just told you I was going to let you go. So I'm not going to belabor you with that. It's in the can. It's almost ready to go. I'll kick it out sometime in the next day or two. It's a Seattle mud hunt. Like short one. Five minute. Five minute video. Nothing. Um, but yeah. Email me. Let's talk. Let's talk about 420. Let's talk about Tartaria. Let's talk about the gateway process. Let's talk about, uh, I am looking at the uh, CIA, no, I'm looking at the WikiLeaks file dump, the full one, all right? So Assange is arrested, and this is most of the files that they've ever released that I know of. I think this is the one biggest file index that that you can get to from WikiLeaks.org of, like, everything that's currently out from them. So, um and so I feel like that's where a lot of my stories in the coming months are going to be coming from because I've been looking at some, you know, pretty weird and interesting and in some cases, you know, well, in pretty much all cases, you know, sad and disturbing things, obviously. So that's why the guy's arrested, right? Um, so, yeah. All right. You guys are wonderful. It's 420. Go get busy. 
I hope you've already been having a great 420 because I didn't put this out until 420 in the afternoon, right? So now it's like 620. I don't even fucking know. I'll talk to you soon. Love you guys. Smoke Indica. Do shit anyway. is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.